social scientists who are more conservative would declare that, okay, well, the problem is single motherhood and that you need to be married to be good parents and you need to have a mother and a father. Um, And they jumped straight from, okay, well, instability is a bad thing, therefore marriage of two people uh, in as traditional way as possible. Um, And without actually any evidence that it was marriage or it was a man and a woman that are the key components there instead of just stability. Kids need stability. It can be three big gay bear dads. It can be a polyamorous triad. It can be any number of configurations. Um, It just needs to be a stable group of people who are committed to the child's life and will be there and will put the child's needs above their own. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating, if you enjoy sucking at communication, and you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multi-Amory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about legal protection for poly families and poly relationships. We're so excited to have Diana Adams, a lawyer who specifically works with polyamorous and LGBT communities on this episode. She's the owner of Diana Adams Law and Mediation, PLLC, a boutique LGBTQ family law and mediation firm based in New York City and Frankfurt, Germany, who primarily serves polyamorous families, same-sex couples, platonic co-parents, and non-nuclear families. Diana also speaks internationally on LGBTQ family law and evolving family structure and conducts frequent media interviews such as this one today. She's also launching a legal services nonprofit later on uh, to help support polyamorous families and getting this kind of legal support at whatever their income level is. So we're really excited about that. Yeah. Yeah, and this isn't a huge and really amazing episode. We hope that you will get a ton out of it. So let's strap in and get right to the interview. All right, and here we are with Diana Adams. Diana, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so let's just jump right into it. So uh, Dedeker and I listened to your talk at UCLA that you did earlier this year. I don't remember exactly oh, when great. that was. And so we got to hear some of these things, and there were a lot of things you mentioned that were, I guess, legal concerns or potential problems that poly families and same-sex families should be aware of that were a little bit surprising to us, and I think most people might not even think of when they're thinking of starting a family. I was wondering if you could start by just sharing some of that. Like, what are common legal troubles that poly families don't consider or don't even realize is something that they should think about? Sure. In my work as a family mediator and a lawyer for poly families, as well as platonic co-parents and same-sex couples and lots of other people who are in the LGBTQ spectrum or non-nuclear family structures, I'm often working with people to help them set up families with intention. And I think that's particularly important when people are getting off of the hamster wheel of what traditional success and family should look like. We've been dating. We move in together. I guess we should get engaged. Now we get Mm -hmm. married. We should have two children. We should move to the suburbs. Um, There are many people who are choosing to create family 
more intentionally according to their desires and their own needs. And we don't really have a script for what that looks like. And so I work with people to have the sometimes challenging and vulnerable conversations about not just what monogamy or non-monogamy or polyamory will mean for them, what their agreements are in those relationships, but also things like how they'll share finances, if at all, how they'll co-parent children, um, and and the role that a new partner might have in the lives of children you have from a previous relationship. So I help people to have those kinds of intentional conversations. And actually, those conversations are essential for anybody getting into a relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think that's right. actually one of the failings of many um, traditional different sex cisgender couples getting married is that they're following that hamster wheel and they assume that they have some sort of common fairy tale or media arc about what monogamy means or how what it means to be a husband and wife um, and those are many of the people that I see in family mediation when they're getting divorced who didn't have right. basic conversations about right. what what financial dependency means for them or how they want to co-parent children so I actually really appreciate that for many of my poly families they realize that they need to make a plan because there isn't a template for what they're going to do and I think that actually is a benefit for many of them and what that looks like more specifically is that I might help people um, in terms of something like planning their finances. Um, there isn't, it isn't possible to have three-person marriage in the United States, but I have many polyamorous triads coming to me seeking to replicate the rights and benefits of being married as much as possible. So what I'll do for people is help them break down what that actually means for them. People will come and say, we'd like to do get as close to being married as possible. And so I ask them, which aspect of that are you really trying to seek? Tell me more about that. Because sometimes what they really want is for the three of them to have something like a commitment ceremony that mm. that acknowledges to the world that the relationship is real um, and ongoing and what their intentions are and ha- gives them an opportunity to maybe make their own vows and have a transformational moment where they've acknowledged publicly that their relationship is now at a new stage. Maybe they want that ceremony and that ritual and that public acknowledgement. Maybe instead what they want is to be able to have the financial protections of something like marriage that that if if one of them falls on hard times that the other ones will, will be taking care of them financially maybe they want to make sure that they don't face government interference with their relationship that they aren't kept away from each other if one of them has passed away or in the hospital god forbid so those are the kinds of things i'll, I'll help people to talk about and actually piece out what do you really want to create here and then what i do is try to cobble together um, as many of those benefits and rights for people as possible in a legal system that does not acknowledge their family. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we might decide whether strategically two people within a polyamorous triad might want to get legally married if one of them needs immigration benefits, if one of them really needs um, health insurance, if it would be tremendously beneficial in terms of taxes or finances. Mm-hmm. Um, I might help the three of them to create something like a cohabitation agreement, which would spell out how they intend to share their finances with each other, or a real estate agreement, and help them to facilitate those really challenging conversations like, okay, are you going to co-own a house in equal thirds, even though one of you is putting in 80% of the money and one of you is putting in no money? Would you feel differently if that person who's putting in no money broke your polyamorous agreements, emptied your bank account, and left? Would you still want them to be a third owner in your entire net worth? Wow. Because that could happen. 
right? Yeah. And I, I want to create agreements and challenge people with these conversations about what will happen when you break up, because that's often what I will do with something like a prenuptial mm-hmm. um, agreement, which I, I do many of for married couples, which I don't think have to be really contentious, but I think are a really powerful opportunity for a facilitated conversation to bring up topics that you might not anticipate or that you might not want to bring up on your own um, because they can be challenging about what happens after a breakup. So Mm -hmm. um, I'll also, in those conversations, help people think about would there be financial support for one of them if they're being in the role of being financially dependent, if they're taking care of the house, if they're taking care of a disabled family member, um, if they're taking care of children and they're not earning any money. If you're married, part of what marriage does is create a social welfare state of two that that person can't just be abandoned if the other person leaves the relationship. Without marriage, you don't necessarily have that protection, but with a cohabitation agreement, you can create that. Yeah. So right. that would that would help with some of the finances, and then of course there's the topic of children. Um, and uh, in terms of children, if people are planning on co-parenting, I have to clarify for them that at this point we can only have two legal parents. Um, we do have three legal parent adoption situations that have happened um, in some states, which is really exciting in California, in Alaska, in Texas, even um, in Massachusetts. Uh, we've had situations of a lesbian couple and a man who's providing the sperm in which he's not going to relinquish his rights as a sperm donor. Instead, he'll stay involved. And those three people have been able to do a clarifying adoption that they are all three parents. Mm-hmm. We haven't yet seen that for a polyamorous family. And I think yeah. that we need to get have a few more of those configurations, um, which I think the court can understand and which don't challenge the traditional uh, monogamous relationship structure mm-hmm. and marriage quite as much. And then I think that's an option for polyamorous people. But for now, we have to acknowledge you, you know, that one of you will be legally vulnerable and not have their name on the birth certificate. And so we'll try to, once again, create an agreement that talks about how will you all make decisions together about the child, about what school they'll go to, about health decisions, um, and will you um, agree to visitation rights for that person who's the third parent. Um, and then finally, I help people if they're bringing a new partner into a serious relationship and they already have a child, I always caution people to make sure that they're only inviting partners into a family dynamic with children if there is a tremendous amount of stability um, because we want we will only want stable parenting figures. We only want parenting figures who are going to be around for the long haul such that even if your romantic relationship breaks up, you can't just ha- stop having this person be stepmom or stepdad or in a special role in a child's life. Um, so that was a long answer, but those, that's sort of the overview uh, of, of the ways that I help poly families to set up um, right. to set up what they want to create. Yeah. Yeah. No. When you were speaking, it reminds me of this is a little bit of a sidestep, but it reminds me of oh gosh, there's a quote uh, I forget who said this, but something about how love is this ideal thing and, and marriage is a very real thing, and there's trouble whenever you mix the real and the ideal and. Mm. So it's so interesting, and but I think so valuable to be encouraging people to have those uncomfortable conversations because I think that people want to stay focused on the love aspect and all the all the mushy aspects, and not so much talking about the cold hard cash aspect or the uh, you know property ownership aspect. Um, but or just it is something the what happens that, if we break up aspect. Exactly, yeah. exactly, or yeah. Um, so that's so valuable, and I mean I've heard of people in poly families, whether there's children involved or not, trying to do things like create an LLC together or create Mm. a subchapter S corporation. And I know that there's probably no one size fits all kind of legal agreement to help people. Um, Do you find certain like legal loopholes that people are using that seem to be very useful? Or are you finding that you're that kind of doing more of a custom build for people has been better? 
I, I do find that doing a, creating a custom build for each client makes a lot of sense. And I'd say that those co-parenting agreements and cohabitation agreements are the, the ones that I tend to come back to for poly families to clarify how they'll parent and how they'll share, fi- share finances as the most important key pieces. Um, LLCs are a really fascinating idea of a way to create relationship between more than two people such that they can share finances and be a financial entity before the government. Um, and I think that's that could be a fantastic way for people to build relationship in a way that is making them a legal unit that's divorced divorced from marriage uh, in the Judeo-Christian sense, such that it's not going to necessarily bring up all of these questions about what kind of relationship is this. Because that's, I think, the key piece that I'd like to see with the future of marriage law is for the government to get out of the business of adjudicating whether or not our sexual relationships warrant health insurance and tax benefits. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the, the business of our secular government. And an LLC is a great way to do that. In practical reality, though, the logistics of creating an LLC and the f- potential financial benefits have not ended up being worth it for mm. the clients I've evaluated that with. So that's mm. been one possibility that I've gone over with clients. And then we've seen that, well, actually, it wouldn't necessarily make things easier on your taxes. And actually, you know, the health insurance you could buy as a family, as a corporation, would be more expensive than what you would mm. buy in the open market. Um, and so I think that that would particularly make sense for people who have really high net worth, who want to mm. own several homes together in different places and share and pool a large amount of uh, you know assets and be able to move it seamlessly. Then I think an LLC makes sense. But for your average family who's wanting to share finances among three people, um, it has an effect not ended up being the, the most cost-effective and efficient way to do that. But I think it's a great idea, and I keep looking for the right family for whom that will work because I'm excited about doing it. Got it. Got it. Um, so you've answered this question slightly so far, but uh, just for potentially like a, a triad, for example, who's about to start um, thinking about bringing their lives together, what are specific actionable steps that they can take right away um, just to protect themselves or protect their family? I think it's really important when anybody gets into a serious relationship to be clear about the expectations and hidden assumptions that we often carry with us. And so um, I encourage people to really sit down in a sober capacity and have an open conversation the way that you might about your poly arrangement, your poly agreements, and, and your any boundaries that you might have in terms of sexually transmitted infections or new partners. In a similar way, if you're going to actually start sharing a household and a life with people, it's important to have a conversation about money and to talk about are you, are you expecting to share your finances uh, for a household equally? Are you expecting to share them pro rata based on your income? Are you expecting that one mm. person is contributing income and somebody else is contributing the labor of home care or child care or something else and that you know that will be considered an equivalent offering? Um, I think those kinds of things are really important to be uh, radically honest about because I think it's amazing the way that people can have incredibly vulnerable conversations about sex and about their identities and what they want and their boundaries and yet never talk about the money, even mm. people who've been together for many years. And so I really encourage people to, to do that, especially if anyone is going to be getting into a situation of dependency, a, a situation in which one person wouldn't be able to afford the rent 
uh, of the household that they're living in. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for their partner, um, if, if one person would be really in trouble if they weren't receiving the financial support, couldn't pay their bills, if suddenly the relationship were to end, if you're building in that kind of dependency, you want to make some sort of clear agreement to protect you, or at least make sure that both of you are on the same page about what that looks like and what the expectations are there. Yeah. Um, and once, and once again, I think in terms of children, it's always key that your children's interests come first. And I actually see this most often with um, divorced straight dads uh, who maybe aren't so used to doing the taking the lead with childcare, and they get divorced, and then they have a new girlfriend who's suddenly insta mom, who's there all the time when their child comes to visit, is doing the giving the child a bath, making the child's meal saying things like, I'll be living with you and daddy forever, and then she's gone in four months, and then it's mm-hmm. a new lady. Um, and I, I tend to see polyamorous families having more awareness that they need to be very careful about that. But yeah. still, I think it's really important to not get swept up in the romance and excitement um, and to say, well, I'll, I know that as a parent, I, think, I can't imagine a time when I'd ever not want to be with this person. Well, they may break up with you in three mm-hmm. months, so don't introduce them to your child as an ongoing partner until you're really sure that they're going to be around long term. Yeah. Right. Uh, That's fantastic. There, there are so many things in what you said that were, were fantastic, and I want to talk about all of them. Uh, I mean, the thing that jumped out to me first was that it sounds like a lot of what you're saying is very similar to the stuff that we talk about on this show of being really intentional about creating mm-hmm. your relationships. And like you said, I've also found that a lot of polyamorous people are just a little more aware of that because they're not doing this kind of default, normal hamster wheel kind of thing. Like you said, uh, what it, what it brought up though was, I guess what I want to talk about was in terms of entering into legal agreements in relationships, we talk about having regular check-ins like a monthly check-in where you reevaluate as Things as simple as what share of the chores you're doing versus somebody else if you live together or just how the relationship is going, how much time you're spending together, and that you're continually adjusting as you go. When it comes to legal things, at least for my layperson's impression, it all of a sudden becomes this, oh, God, we've decided something once and now we're kind of contractually stuck in this (laughs) one way of doing things. Like you were saying about one person providing more labor and the other providing financial support and you know, that you'll need to continuously tweak and adjust that as you go. Um, I guess I wondered in terms of these types of agreements that people can enter into, how do those work? Are they something that does change over time? Is that a really complicated process to change later on? Uh, could you speak to that just a little bit? Sure. Oftentimes people will work with me over the course of a few months not necessarily spending a lot of time over those months, but maybe having a meeting, thinking about the questions, and then sitting with the idea that we've come up with for a month or so and thinking, okay, how would that feel to share our finances pro rata, where you pay 70% of our household finances and I pay 30%? Um, How would it feel to um, have you get to know my child in a deeper way or for me to call you mom and let you make decisions about my child's life? Those are the kinds of things that we don't usually make a decision about in a 20-minute meeting and put it down on paper, and then you're stuck. Instead, what we try to do is create that with intention, um, allowing space in between to reflect and think about how, does that, how, how are you still sitting with that decision and that idea. Um, let's try it out. Let's try out the prospect of sharing finances or you know, getting to know um, 
uh, a child um, in your life and then check in again about whether this is, is feeling right before we sign any papers. And so I think the process of creating the agreements are, is just as important as the piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the key distinctions that I always want to stress for people is that people sometimes think this is the kind of thing they can sort of download a template from the internet mm-hmm. and sign it, but that wouldn't make any more sense legally um, and emotionally than just sort of finding a polyamorous agreement for somebody else's relationship and just signing it. It's, it's mm-hmm. not the piece of paper that you need. It's the intentional, vulnerable conversations about needs and desires and concerns and expectations. And so we, we try to create that carefully and allow some space and then also to create that agreement with as much openness as we can for those future inevitabilities so or possibilities. So I've worked with hundreds of people at this point and I've also worked with poly families and other kinds of families when things have not worked out. So I can often ask a lot of the questions about things that could be challenging. Okay, you're agreeing right now that... Um, this person can, this new partner is going to be able to have input on your child's medical decisions, um, even though legally they don't have the right to do that. Well, how about they decide that they oppose vaccinations or they oppose medical treatment that you think is essential for your child's health? Are you still giving them a third equal vote? Um, Are you going to overrule them? Um, and then they'd say, oh, I'm the, I'm the mom. I'm going to overrule them. Well, then if that's, that's how you feel, then we need to plan for that now. So oftentimes we can plan for a lot of different kinds of possibilities um, and, and for the possibility that the way that you're relating to each other is not always going to be the way it is right now, that you're going to still take care of each other or stay connected in this way, at least for some time, even if there's a romantic breakup or even if there, your relationship configuration is to shift. Um, and then there's always the possibility that people can come back and talk about it. So usually we would have a dispute resolution clause that encourages people to come back to a family mediator like me, if not me, to revisit something if they need to. And in fact, I've now worked with clients for over 10 years, and so I do have people sometimes come back six years later and say, okay, well, now we're having a second child, and one of us has lost their job, one of us has become disabled, we're having a a different change in circumstances, we want to keep co-parenting, but one of us is no longer in the romantic configuration, could we rework this a little bit, could we make a new agreement? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's always a possibility, and so this can be a living document. It's not the kind of thing that you want to do a monthly check-in about, Mm -hmm. like you would with your, you know, poly arrangements, perhaps, but or with your holistic relationship, but it's the kind of thing that you can absolutely revisit. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their sites specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just... 
keep on giving great gifts to us and to our <laughs> listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. Maybe this is more funny than a real question, but what you were saying about making some really permanent decision about someone's parenting role, for example, when you're only four months into a relationship. And on on our show, we talk a lot about NRE, you know, new relationship new energy relationship and all energy, those yeah. chemicals and things that's, that are actual chemical changes going on often for the first year of a relationship. And I just had this thought of... You know, would it be possible to to go before a judge later on and be like, "Oh, well, I was under the influence of these chemicals, and I made a terrible decision." I doubt it. It seems a little dodgy nope. to me. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the judges are not very sympathetic with people um, mm-hmm. signing mm-hmm. things that they shouldn't sign um, <laughs> because they're you know people pe- people sign a lot of things that they should not sign, such as many men leaving their relationships. Um, and leaving the role of being the provider to their wife and child will have a terrible feeling of guilt and will basically say, I will give you 80% of my salary for the rest of my life. I'm so sorry. Wow. You know? wow. Uh, I, hate, I hate myself. I'm so sorry. Just take it. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and then five years later, they're sleeping on their mother's couch at 45, and they're like, this is getting a little old, and now I, I can't really date because nobody wants to be in a relationship with me when I'm giving all of my money to my ex and I'm totally broke. Can we revisit this? And their answer is often, you're a big boy. You signed it. Mm. Um, And so people can get in a lot of trouble by signing things that they don't, you know, that that are a bad idea. And, you know, with a child, you're not signing anything, but you're making an impact in your child's life. And so I actually really encourage people to not have sleepovers with partners, whether they're in a polyamorous relationship or a different kind of relationship with a child who's over a year old and aware enough to be aware of what's going on and, and to get to know somebody as a family member and a person who's in their house a lot, I encourage some, the, the, the parent to not let their child know anybody who's a romantic partner other than just this is one person at a potluck or this is a person who's seen at the, us at the park and you don't know that they were in a romantic relationship, to not know that you're dating until maybe six months at least, maybe a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that takes you further out of that NRE stage. Yeah, to, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, we've had our first argument. We've dealt with it. This person is still around eight months, nine months, a year later, and they still want to be in my child's life. And I still mm-hmm. think it's a good idea. And I'm past that initial wave of fashion. Okay, now we can find out that Susan, whom you've seen at the park and who's come to some of our potlucks and has been over for dinner with our other friends, is actually mommy's special girlfriend and is going to sleep over. Um, and those are conversations you'd have in an age-appropriate way um, and still maybe not go to, and Susan will live with us forever. Um, which, you know, that, that can be your interior monologue. You can tell yeah. your friends that you want that. You can tell your therapist yeah. that you want that. Do not tell your seven-year-old. Mm, um, right. You need to suck it up and put your child first. And I'm very, very firm and sometimes harsh with my clients when they're not doing that. 
right? That so makes it's sense. good. So I'm, I'm, I'm the poly tough love mama bear person <laughs> no, who's always great. looking out for the children. because, <laughs> And I think that surprises people sometimes because I'm the poly advocate. I am the poly mm-hmm. you know, family law attorney and mediator, and I am totally in support of these kinds of relationships. But I'm also somebody who wants people to do them in a stable and responsible way. Um, partly because I don't want people to end up being a, a train wreck in court and, and make the rest of us look bad. So exactly. I really want to encourage people to get into these arrangements in a stable way so that we can push the law forward to demonstrate that these can be absolutely stable and positive relationships. There's actually a, a real um, blind spot and mythology in a lot of the social science about what's best for children. Um, mm-hmm. The studies all demonstrate that's what's, that what's best for children is stability in parenting arrangements that you don't have that mom dad figure who's in and in your life and then out of your life um the prototypical um you know kid who grew up in the 80s whose parents didn't know better because we didn't talk enough about divorce then where mom or dad after divorce had a, a string of new boyfriends or girlfriends that the child got attached to um and that we know is damaging for children and so from that the social scientists who are more conservative would declare that, okay, well, the problem is single motherhood and that you need to be married to be good parents and you need to have a mother and a father. Um, And they jumped straight from, okay, well, instability is a bad thing, therefore marriage of two people Mm -hmm. uh, in as traditional way as possible Um, and without actually any evidence that it was marriage or it was a man and a woman that are the key components there instead of just stability. Kids need stability. It can be three big gay bear dads. It can be a polyamorous <laughs> triad. It can be any number of configurations. Um, it just needs to be a stable group of people uh, who are committed to the child's life and will be there and right. will put the child's needs above their own. Um, and so that's what I'm always trying to encourage with my clients so that we can help demonstrate that polyamorous parents can be just as strong and just as stable for these kids. And in fact, I see a lot more stability. I see a lot more stability. Um, I have many of my... Uh, I have repeat clients for divorce um, who get divorced and come back and, and get to get a prenup and get married and then get divorced, um, but only in different sex couples, I have to say. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, I do think that we, it's something that the polyamorous community and the community of same sex couples can actually teach straight couples is, uh, you know, we, we have to have create families with intention. A same-sex couple is not going to get accidentally pregnant like a straight couple is. So, you know, there's a lot of forethought. There's a lot of planning. What are we wanting to create here? Um, and I think that's something that can actually trickle back and benefit the rest of the community, the yeah, rest of right. our uh, country of people who are getting married, who are having kids, who are creating relationship to be more intentional and make more of a plan. Right, right. So speaking of the country and its current forum, which is getting radically worse yeah. by the moment, um, is there? Do you predict like any changes in the security of polyamorous families during uh, the current U.S. administration? Because yeah, I mean, to me, obviously things seem to be going backwards in a lot of ways, and so mm-hmm. that seems potentially scary for the future of polyamorous relationships. Absolutely. We're definitely seeing a period of retrenchment, a period of the pendulum swinging backward and backlash. And I'm seeing that um, in in many areas related to LGBTQ families, as well as polyamorous families, the families that I work with. And there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of concern. Um, And I'd like to separate out what the realistic concerns are Mm. from the ones that are just media mythology or just our Mm. own anxieties. Um, I think one thing that people fear is that if they're in a same-sex partnership, whether it's just a same-sex couple or whether that's part of a polyamorous triad, 
that their marriage will be undone. Um, or whether because they're polyamorous, even if they're a different sex couple, if people find out that they're polyamorous, their marriage could be undone or something like that. Um, and it would be very, very difficult at this point to annul existing marriages. They're not going to take your existing marriage away. If you want to get married and you have any concerns about that, I would suggest doing it now because it's mm. a lot easier to get rid of marriages in the future than marriages that have already happened. Yeah. What I think we may see, though, are um, some of the rights attached to same-sex marriage taken away. Um, you know, the possibility of losing some of your federal benefits of things like immigration benefits um, or tax benefits, uh, as well as parenting status. We, we, we may lose those things, but you'll still be able to be stay married if you are. Um, I think something else that people who are polyamorous really fear is that, you know, the state is going to come take their children or the state is going to come interfere yeah. with their life. There's a lot of terror and a lot of fear about that. And I think what's actually, unfortunately, much more realistic is that um, somebody who's a family member, who's a conservative person, who's your, you know, your, your co-parent with whom you're estranged, who's not part of your polyamorous family arrangement, if they find out or if grandma or grandpa finds out um, and is very concerned and brought a child custody case in a conservative jurisdiction, that is something that you could potentially be concerned about. Jeez, um, yeah. yeah. And, and so I've worked in um, many of the cases related to polyamorous families and legal defense um, when there's a child custody challenge. This happened, I, I work in representing clients in New York State, and then I've consulted on those cases throughout North America and most of the cases that have happened in the past 10 years. And that's what I see often um, the, you know, the, the ex who's angry um, and you've, you've left the ex and now you've created your own life. And that especially if the child says something that could seem mm. scary to an outside mm. person, um, right. I would be very aware of children only being exposed to things that you would feel comfortable with them parroting back to somebody at school or to their dad or to their grandparent. Um, and uh, you don't want to have children, you don't, you don't want to ask children to keep secrets. So, it, you know, you need to be age appropriate with what you expose your child to. And so maybe nudism is part of your family life. I have no judgment about nudism. I live in Germany where nudism is pretty normal. It's not so normal and accepted in the United States. And so you might want to choose your battles as a polyamorous person because you do not want your six-year-old daughter to say to school or to say to grandma that, you know, daddy's penis looks like this, but mommy's boyfriend's penis looks like that. That's bad. Yeah, <laughs> I've yeah. had the case many times. It doesn't work Jeez. out well, um, yeah. even if that's completely innocent. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's something to be aware of, too. If you, if you are in a polyamorous relationship configuration and there is a possible grandparent or conservative relative or um, you're estranged from that co-parent, that you want to make sure that you are presenting the information to them the way you want them to get the information and not getting that third hand. So either decide we're not going to be out or the child's not going to be exposed to anything that you wouldn't feel comfortable with them parroting back, or we want them to hear it from us, not a rumor, not something from the child. Um, and we want to affirmatively make a plan for how to talk to grandma about this. And I do that kind of family mediation as well as coach clients and how to script and prepare for that conversation. Um, so those are some of the things that I think people should should just be aware of. And we oddly, we see more of those kinds of child custody cases when culturally there's more concern and when mm -hmm. uh, topics about oppression of sexual minorities and concern um, is something we're, that we're hearing more about in the media. During that whole uh, time period of sex addiction, when people were talking about sex addiction, mm -hmm. um, 
when, you know, celebrities are getting caught with a prostitute and then uh, saying, oh, sorry, I'm a sex, I'm a sex addict. I need to go to a two-week program and now I'm fine. That's not what sex addiction is. No. Um, but it was an overused idea and it was something that people uh, was soaked in the media with lots of fear. And so we saw many cases of people who were polyamorous or who were kinky who were being called sex addicts by people in their family or their ex. Um, that died down for a while and now we're seeing an uptick again in these kinds mm. of cases. So that's something to be aware of. I also think that people should just be aware that there is legal support out there for them and that it makes sense to gather together as many of the legal protections that you can get to keep your family together and safe. So for example, if you're in a polyamorous triad, you could try to do healthcare proxies so that um, your partners are allowed into the hospital room as your healthcare mm -hmm. proxy agent, um, even if the conservative hospital might turn somebody away who looks genderqueer or who doesn't look like what they think your partner should look like. If you've got a healthcare proxy, that will really help that person to get in the room. Something as simple and practical as that. Or a power of attorney. Even if you're not allowed to get married, if someone's your power of attorney, then they have the ability to call a bank or a store that's mm. screwed you over to say, I'm this person's power of attorney agent. What's going on? Mm. Um, they can sign checks for you. They can go to court for you. They can do a lot of the things that a spouse might be able to do. Um, and it doesn't matter what your romantic or sexual relationship is. So thinking about those kinds of things, um, as well as things like the immigration status of everybody in your, um, in your polyamorous family, I'm currently, you know, seeing people who are needing to be conscious about whether they're concerned about one of their partners being deported and needing mm -hmm. to get married to protect Jeez. one of them, um, even yes. if they might prefer to not get into the institution of marriage if it doesn't really reflect their non-monogamy or their polyamorous arrangement. For some people, it's something just to be concerned of about now. So I think being aware of those kinds of things. Um, for transgender clients, I think it's essential that people get their identity documents in order, that people get, um, you know, take advantage of every opportunity to get your social security card changed, to get your birth certificate and your driver's license changed, and to get your passport updated. Do those things now, just in case you may not be allowed to do them in the future. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are great streamlined ways to do that in many places now that may go away. We want to protect you while we can. Mm -hmm. um, for people who are in... Um, who are non-biological parents who don't have a connection to a child. Um, for example, this is very common in lesbian couples where you have a biological mother and then a non-biological mother who is not biologically related to the child because the child was born from donor sperm, um, but maybe the non-biological mother has been there since before the conception, planned the conception, helped to pick out the sperm donor, you know, held the turkey baster at the doctor's office, sent out the birth announcement, act as, acted maybe even as the primary mother. If you don't have a second parent adoption that clarifies that you are the other legal parent of that child, you could be separated from that child. Um, you don't necessarily have a legal tie. And so right now in states like New York and California and Massachusetts, um, in many blue states, you can have your name right on the birth certificate if you're married at the time of the birth of your child, even if you're not the biological parent, whether you're the the dad, but you use donor sperm, you're not biologically related, or whether you're the lesbian partner, you can have your name on the birth certificate, that's great. But in states like New York, there's been some complacency among my clients about like, well, we're in New York, Obama's here, everything's great, it's going to be fine, we're moving on an upward trajectory, I'm not so worried about it. Now is the time to be concerned oh. about that, because although you may be recognized in New York State... You may not be in Alabama, in North Carolina, in Texas, um, and they're making it actually even more difficult to get your parenting rights in order. And so I really encourage people to 
get legal support to get as many as much of all of that paperwork in order as possible just so that your family is as protected as it can be. Got it. Got it. Wow. Well, this has just been so fantastic, Diana. I can't yeah. thank you enough for sharing your time and sharing your wisdom and, and sharing your knowledge with us. Um, and I have to say, we get so many listeners that reach out to us asking all these questions specifically. Um, and this is just going to be such a fantastic resource. Um, where, where can we direct our listeners to find more about you? And also, if there's any other resources that you'd recommend people to check out? Okay, great. Um, I have a monthly email list and I keep people posted on what's going on there with issues related to polyamory and LGBTQ people in family law. Um, and you can find more about me and that mailing list uh, subscription at www.dianaadamslaw.net. Um, I'm also really active ranting on Twitter all the time <laughs> at Diana Adams ESQ. And I'm actually going to be starting a nonprofit that I'm going to be launching really wow. soon. Um, that's so exciting. And that's to provide legal support for polyamorous people as well as LGBTQ people. Because honestly, right now, I just provide those services pro bono to many people and provide them on sliding scale. And that's mm -hmm. no longer financially possible for me because there's mm -hmm. such high demand. Yeah. And there isn't really anybody else who's providing these services to people at all income levels. And so while right now I work with paying clients and I work on a sliding scale, I'm excited that soon there'll be a nonprofit such that mm -hmm. if people need a co-parenting agreement, if people need a second parent adoption, mm -hmm. if people need a donor insemination agreement, um, it, you know, if people need any kind of polyamorous family agreement, if people need defense in a polyamorous child custody case and they're panicked and they can't afford $80,000 for a litigator for a year, mm -hmm. um, that will be available to help them. So I'm really excited about that. And if it's people want to find out more information when it launches, um, either to support us or to get our services, mm -hmm. that will be available on my monthly email list. Fantastic. That's so great. Wow. I, I, I can't wait to hear more about that nonprofit. That's such a, it's been such a need for so long. I'm so yeah. glad that you're spearheading that. So yeah. Thank so you. best of luck with that. We can't wait to hear more. Um, and thank you so much again for joining us today. Absolutely. Let's stay in touch. All right. We hope that all of you learned as much as we did during this episode. Really fantastic to know that there are finally more resources like this, like Diana Adams, out there. Uh, and we're really excited to hear updates from her. If you want to stay up to date on that, you can check out her website. And you can also click on links in the show notes to you know, get to her website, sign up for her email list, as well as getting some awesome things like Dedeker's book, The Smart Girl's Guide to Polyamory and all of that. So thank you all so much for joining us this week. If you'd like to have your question or comment played on the show, you can call 678-MULTI-05. Or you can also email us at info at multiamory.com. Send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. To support our show and join our private Facebook community, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Dedeker Winston, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.